Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It truly is an honor to be here. Thank you very much to your rector for an invitation to be present this morning. Uh, I love the city of Memphis. I confess I'm an Alvis fan. And I've been to Graceland three times, and each time thoroughly enjoyed it. So, so it's a real treat to be back in this gorgeous city, and it's lovely to be in this spectacular space. So thank you very much for the invitation. As you can probably deduce, uh, I don't come from Mississippi, <laughs> or even from Virginia. I am indeed an Englishman, but just to reassure you, I did all, I, my wife and I became American citizens in 2010. And, uh, and it's, I, I have the privilege of running the seminary that produced your rector and your associate, so I'm grateful to be here. Thank you very much indeed. So we're in the middle of COVID, and my favorite end-of-the-world joke, which it feels like, is a meteorite is about to kill all life on planet Earth, and there's 24 hours to go, and so it's not surprising that with this meteorite hurtling towards Earth, people are getting ready to go to church. And you have a Baptist minister, you have a Roman Catholic priest, and you have an Episcopal priest all sitting around trying to decide what text they should preach on that night. So the Baptist goes first. It's easy. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to bring people to Jesus tonight. The other two not. And then the Roman Catholic priest says, well, Matthew 16 for me. Our Lord said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. I'll remind people that St. Peter was the first bishop of Rome, the Pope, and you've got to be in right relationship with the Catholic Church, and I'm available for confession right after the service. And the other two nod. And then they both look at the mainline priest, the Episcopal priest. What will she preach on? They wonder. <laughs> and as they're staring, she looks up, and without batting an eyelid, replies promptly, I will preach on the lectionary readings of the day. And of course, that's the right answer. <laughs> Just because the world's going to end, that's no reason to depart from appropriate liturgical form. <laughs> and so we come to the lectionary readings of the day. To Samuel, there you have King David, who fulfilled the promise that God made to Abraham. And here is David reflecting on the right exercise of earthly power in what I think is one of the loveliest images of just rule you'll find anywhere in the world. 
The text reads, One who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, don't you love this? Is like the light of the morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. Just rule is beautiful, says David. Then in Revelation, we have the promise of the rule of Christ to come. The Christ who is the firstborn from the dead, resurrection, explains the text, will come on clouds to usher in the reign of God. This powerful picture language promises that God will not wait forever for wrongs to be put right. There will be a time when justice will indeed triumph over evil. So we have in Samuel, just rule in the present. We have in Revelation, just rule to come. And then we have this exchange between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate is worried that he's in the presence of a political threat, so he wants to find out exactly what sort of king of the Jews is Jesus. And Jesus says, look, you've got me all wrong. I'm not in the business of fighting for rule in the realm. Instead, the kingship of Christ transcends the Roman Empire. It's a kingdom of values that challenges conventional principles of power. Jesus is testifying to the values that underpin just rule. So three lectionary readings, a description of just rule, a description of just rule in the future, and a description of the values that underpin just rule. And there's more going on in this narrative, these texts. We have Samuel focusing on what humans do, and we have Revelation focusing on what God does, and the gospel is an interesting mixture of the human and the divine. So this morning, we're tackling two complicated questions. So strap yourself in, we're going for a ride. The first question is, what is God doing to bring about justice? And the second question is, what are we supposed to be doing to bring about justice? So let's sit for a few moments with these two questions. On the first, sometimes we just want a God of the instantaneous miracle. We want a God who would just take COVID away with a wave of the divine hand. We would like a God who would eliminate the cancerous tumor without all that treatment. We would love a God who ushers in peace and justice across the world without this ark moving so slowly and sometimes not appearing to move at all. But it isn't the God we've got. So why is that? Okay, let me try this on you. This Friends is an iPad. There you go. <laughs> okay, there's a picture, nice picture. All right, so when I was, too soon, when I was traveling with my son on college trips about eight years ago, 
What we would do is we would find a restaurant with decent Wi-Fi. We would settle down. We would eat a meal, I hasten to add. We wouldn't just exploit the Wi-Fi without consuming a beverage or food. And then we would play a game of risk on the iPad. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with this game, it's a game which involves world domination. What you do is one player logs in, and then Luke would log in, and then we would get the computer to generate four bots, so those are players generated by the game, and then we would go to battle. It was great. We had hours of fun. And that's what it all looks like. There you have it. Risk, world domination. And what's now? I want to suggest this is an analogy for divine action. I know, stay with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did ask you to all strap yourselves in. Let me make the case that this is an analogy of divine action. The first thing to note is that you need an iPad and you need an operating system. That's an analogy for God, the creator. God is responsible for everything that is. This vast universe, this vast cosmos, and if there are multiverses, responsible for all that too. God is responsible for everything that is. And in addition, God is responsible for every single moment of being, the operating system of the world. Now, into that world, God has created human life. So that's what risk is. Risk is an analogy for living and life. And we are, if you like, all participants in the app that God has created here in this universe. And what we're doing is we're playing good moves, sometimes I pray and trust, Bad moves, sadly. We're sometimes cooperating with people. That's good. We're sometimes obstructing love. That's bad. But we're all playing within the operating system where God is allowing our exercise of freedom to unfold according to the rules of the universe that God's made. Now, let me just stress, I'm not saying God does nothing. God is also a player in the game. And what God wants all the time is God wants us to cooperate with the ends that God is trying to bring about. So God wants to work with our loving actions. God wants to work with our acts of kindness. God wants to work with our decisions to stand with somebody who's hurting. God wants to work with the person who's lonely and the person who reaches out to that lonely person. But God is also having to cope with all those decisions where we're selfish, inconsiderate, unkind. God is an agent in the world that's often not seen. Sometimes it takes the form of a coincidence that works out. Sometimes it's those moments when things could have been much worse, but in the end they weren't. But God is constantly calling each and every one of us to be a partner in progressing the values of love and justice in this world of ours. So 
But what about us? What do we learn from the text about what we're required to do? We're called to live out the values that Christ embodied in that exchange with Pilate. God is constantly inviting all of us to look at the world through the eyes of Christ. That means noticing those who are on the edge. That means noticing those who are afraid. That means noticing those who are excluded. That means noticing those who are lonely. That means noticing those who need a kind word, an email, a visit, a meal when somebody's sick. And yes, it means noticing those who are coping with injustice in our world. Sometimes the poets are the people we need to listen to. Malcolm Geit is an extraordinary poet, and Virginia Theological Seminary has commissioned him to write some poetry for our bicentennial. And there's a poem he's written which is entitled, Christ the King. Our king is calling from the hungry furrows whilst we are cruising through the aisles of plenty. Our hoardings screen us from the man of sorrows. Our soundtracks drown his murmur. I am thirsty. He stands in line to sign in as a stranger and seek a welcome from the world he made. We see him only as a threat, a danger. He asks for clothes. We strip search him instead. And if he should fall sick, then we take care that he does not infect our private health. We lock him in the prisons of our fear, lest he unlock the prison of our wealth. But still on Sunday, we shall stand and sing the praises of our hidden Lord and King. The two questions, what's God doing and what are we called to do, come together. We're called to be partners with God in creating the next segment of creation, the next few moments, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, we're invited to partner with God and create possibilities for the future where there's more love in this world, where there's more kindness, where people who are neglected are given chances to be included, where people who are suffering are given chances to be made whole. We're being invited into the privilege of discipleship, into the privilege of making this world different. And God has so designed this world that we're a necessary player in it. This world will not change unless indeed we open ourselves up to invite the Lord of life and love to work with what we're doing so God can use what we're doing to create futures of endless possibilities. That's what this Sunday's all about.
That's what the end of this church calendar year is all about. Next week's New Year, incidentally. That's what it's all about. It is the invitation to create a world that's more beautiful and do so by opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God to find ways of making our contribution so that God can work through us and with us and make the world even more beautiful than it is now. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.